This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 378 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Wutzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund beating RB Leipzig 3-2 in a dramatic dress rehearsal for the German Cup Final, which is on Thursday. Um, that's pretty much it, but uh, for all that and more, <laughs> joins me Lars Bormann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm doing fine, how are you? I'm doing very well myself. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we have... Uh, much else to discuss other than uh, uh, the 3-2 win. It was an exhilarating game, Lars. Uh, why uh, did Dortmund win in the end? Even though it was a very... Uh, uh, <laughs> almost against the run of play win uh, in, in the second half. Um, I think because Leipzig didn't punish them for their lexidaisicalness or complacency towards the end of the game. Or, or rather for most of the second half. Um, I think there was a real cutoff point when Mahmoud Daoud had to come off um, because until then he single-handedly had so much control over the game, both defensively and offensively. And when he had to come off, that kind of signaled to Leipzig, I suppose, uh, that Dortmund were now for the taking because obviously with Delaney and Jan. You have a lot of muscle, but not necessarily all the technical brain in midfield. So at that point, Leipzig kind of turned it on. Obviously, they have a lot of quality in the team and, and didn't show that for the first 60 or so minutes. And Dortmund got a bit complacent, I think. And we're quite lucky um, that in one instance where uh, Julian Brandt had a somewhat rare moment of brilliance this season at least uh released was it Sancho first then Guerrero and then Sancho again I think something yep. like that so uh, to me that was almost uh you know the platonic ideal of individuality kind of scoring a goal on its own I mean there was really nothing anyone could do about it because Sancho and Guerrero and and to be fair, Brandt also, uh, they, they just all had the kind of perfect answer for whatever the situation asked for. And that's how they scored the third goal, which definitely, as you said, wasn't coming necessarily. Yeah, I remember you tweeting uh, something along the lines of uh, you wouldn't be surprised if uh, Leipzig in the end win this 4-2 or so. And uh, th there was a moment where it, it really did look like it. But uh, to be fair... Um, you know, if you talk about complacency in, uh, in, in Dortmund point of view, I think uh, it's it's fair to apply the same standard to Leipzig because in the first half, I think uh, Dortmund were clearly the better team and uh, Leipzig's pressing was not really uh, all that. And uh, obviously, um, 
the guests could have taken the lead very early. I, I think uh, Huang had uh, a very good chance and uh, it was saved by Hits where he already uh, won his first uh, battle, if you will, against Mats Hummels. Um, but uh, yeah, then of course uh, Dortmund scored the opener in form of Marco Reus and uh, I gotta say, I think every goal that Dortmund scored was uh, really fantastic. I don't know which your favorite one is, but um, you know, I've uh, talked a lot about uh, the excellence of Lukas Piszczek, um since his return and especially I've highlighted the strength of his pass into the half space, which I think is uh, something, an element that has been missing and I think um, Dortmund in this in this moment, uh, yeah, perfectly utilized it in Marco Reus first with the dummy and then uh, you know getting the the back heel flick on from Torgen Hazard, which is so beautiful to see. And I've said it a million times on this show before, but uh, my favorite Marco Reus goals are always when he shoots so hard that he falls over, <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what he did when he uh, cut inside. Uh, I, I, I think he, he cut in front of Willy Orban, right? I kind of expected Upamecano to track back, but he never really recovered. So Royce had this chance to just uh, lash it. And uh, yeah, it just uh, it was an absolute missile. Uh, Gulashi had really no chance to, to uh, raise his arms fast enough. Um, yeah, what a hit. So uh, last, that was already very promising. And I, I, I thought um, minus the, the early chance, uh, from Leipzig uh, that, that Dortmund pretty much deserved that goal and I thought that uh, even if they didn't have most of the ball necessarily uh, that they were a the more active side and uh, Leipzig then didn't really have too many answers uh, to Dortmund's pressing and uh, Dortmund's way uh, of, of playing and in fact I thought Leipzig were, were pretty passive uh, maybe that has to do um, with the fearfulness of, of uh, uh, you know the threat that uh, Sancho and Guerrero pose because uh, their wingback uh, Henriksson on the right side, I, I thought was very passive, and um, yeah, uh, and their two strikers, uh, uh, be it Huang or, or Forsberg up front, didn't really do much either in, in terms of, of pressing. So I thought Dortmund had really uh, um, a lot of time to to build up. So that all being said, last um, <laughs> I know I, I feel like I started a little bit negative in into this show, but uh, what did make Dortmund so strong in the in in the first half or first sixty minutes uh, that uh, they would, I would I would say clearly the better team. Yeah, I think general sharpness. Um, I mean, you already mentioned that Leipzig um, didn't seem on it for most of you know the first two thirds of the game, uh, basically until the Dahoud substitution. I would say um, outside of you know the first chance after. Was that even after a minute or two um, from Wang? I think third minute. Where, where Hits did really well to close down the angle and made it very tough for the striker. So Yeah, it was an off-balance shot too. Yeah, I mean, Hummels, for having been beaten, still uh, impacted the play as much as he could without you know really risking a penalty. So uh, all around, as much as they could still impact it, that was pretty good. Oh, pretty well done by both Hummels and Hits. Yeah, and and I, as I said, Leipzig didn't really seem sharp to me. I don't know if there's anything to the idea that they kind of prefer to show all of their might, if you like, in the cup final. I think you can certainly make the case looking at 
the starting lineup. I think Huang isn't really much of a regular starter for them this season. Uh, Henrichs usually doesn't really play in the big games, I don't think. I mean, obviously, I don't necessarily follow Leipzig too closely, but uh, to me, it felt like, and I think the, the German commentator also said that uh, some players were rewarded for performances, for example, in the Cup semi-final against Bremen. Uh, Wang being one of the examples there, so uh, I think there's the also other, some. I, guess. I, I didn't I have no clue what happened in the semi-final outside <laughs> yeah, of Leipzig got the winning, winning goal, very late. So bench. yeah, but I mean, Forsberg is, in, in my opinion, anyway, uh, one of the best players, so he should always start in these big games. Um, but I think there's also something to be said that for Dortmund, kind of having some answers anyway to what uh, what makes Leipzig good usually under Nagelsmann, which is kind of the uh, marriage between, you know, pressing and possession play, positional play. Uh, obviously, Nagelsmann being picked up by Bayern for a world record fee indicates that he's a pretty good coach and has a pretty good handle on most things. But if there's a blind spot in his record, if you like, outside of not winning a cup so far and hopefully fingers crossed uh, until he goes to Munich because that means he's losing on Thursday. Uh, it's his record against Dortmund is really quite poor. Um, they already lost the, the home game against Dortmund in January or February. Yeah, might, must have been January. Uh, 3-1 and I think the, the Leipzig goal was kind of a late consolation goal if memory serves and I mean obviously when uh, they made it 2-2 I think a lot of us would have thought back to that crazy 3 all draw against Hoffenheim a few years back when Nagelsmann was still there but still um, Nagelsmann against Dortmund that's not uh, a combination that he seems to enjoy I think I read somewhere that this is the team he has the lowest win percentage against, which says something because he's uh, because obviously there's the existence of Bayern as a super team for the entirety of his coaching career in the Bundesliga. So there seems to be something in the air whenever he plays against Dortmund that he doesn't like. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, what I really liked about Dortmund is uh, that they sort of... Um really replaced ha Haaland well. I mean, his uh, absence uh, kind of surprised me since, you know, it, it was uh, said that he suffered a Charlie horse uh, in the Wolfsburg game. So uh, when uh, uh, Tessic explained that uh, at the news conference after the Kiel game, I expected him to be back in team training rather sooner than later and then also playing this game. But uh, nope, uh, we had the Haaland camp... <laughs> Uh, with him together with uh, Jude Bellingham, who was suspended after uh, the second yellow card against Wolfsburg and uh, Zagadou, who's still out injured. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I thought that Hazard did very well, but uh, in general, I, I think the fluidity that Dortmund showed really uh, um, kept Leipzig guessing. And I, I think, um, you know, a lot, a lot can be said about uh, the way Dortmund attack and how they play, but... Um, in recent games, if you want to include the uh, five nothing win against Kiel, um, they've really shown a nice uh, level of fluidity in, in attack, and we saw some really beautiful combination play to create goals. And uh, I feel like this is a late push in the season, which is uh, maybe not too common that uh, this late in the season teams uh, more discover their uh, 
attacking and, and combination mojo, usually this is where it gets lost a little and uh, <laughs> uh, things start to get a bit more stingy. Um, you know, uh, greetings to Frankfurt at this <laughs> point, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Hazard did, did really well in, in the way he picked his runs and uh, Giorena, I think even though I don't I don't think he has a scoring contribution, I, I, I thought he also uh, messed around quite a bit. So um, that really helped uh, the, the way uh, they, they dropped back. And of course, Marco Royce in, in this form um, is right now an absolutely amazing player. And I think uh, when it was still 2 nothing, he arguably could have and should have made it uh, 3 nothing, or at least uh, set up a pass or something like that. Um, but he slipped away when he tried to uh, change uh, the ball with his back heel uh, into another direction. So, um, yeah, that was obviously a shame, but uh, good on Marco Royce. And, of course, um, the 2-0 the um, right after halftime was also very important. I'm not entirely sure what uh, Leipzig did there, but that was a big defensive blunder because you don't let uh, Jaden Sancho be this open. And, uh, yeah, uh, he just cut inside and <laughs> tucked it away in the... Uh, uh, in the far post, uh, far corner of the goal, and I thought that he made it look really easy. Um, but yeah, obviously a, a, another class goal. Obviously some individual skill required there. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I thought that Dortmund really uh, had a good flow in this game, and uh, that's very positive because you're not playing against uh, some team; you're still playing against Leipzig. So um, having the confidence. And the swagger, if you will, to um, to uh, yeah, show that not only against Kiel but also against Leipzig is obviously amazing. Um, what's not amazing is that uh, you then allow Lukas Klostermann to score a header via set piece, but uh, it was a very well taken corner. Um, I don't, I don't know what else to say, but uh, I think that was also when uh, Leipzig's pressure already mounted. But up until that point, I didn't think that Leipzig had too many real chances. It's just that they got a little bit more dominant. Uh, but as you said, Lars, I, I think um, the turning point a little bit was uh, when Dahoud had to come off. Um, at the time, I I thought because I think they, they showed him have a little chat with Tessic that it was probably a, a muscle thing um, because, uh, you know, no no sane person would take Dahoud off the, the way he played. Um, do you think that uh, he will be once again the uh, the key player in the, in the next game against Leipzig? Yeah, I would expect Dahoud to be... Uh the key player again because that's kind of what's been the case for most of uh, the last few weeks i think we've talked on and on about how his development has come as a decent or nice surprise to a lot of people i think even on or among the regular panelists on this show not to name names uh, <laughs> a few a few uh, had not necessarily still the kind of conviction in his ability to transform from a talented but you know uh, flawed player into this really kind of machine almost I think especially in the last few weeks under Terzic but even going back to last season I think uh, we talked about his uh, progression once basically no more fans in the stands uh, Dahoud suddenly became the player that you we always hoped he him, could be yeah you famously dubbed him lockdown in Yesta <laughs> yeah and I'm still still waiting for that to, to uh, kick off really um, the thing is um, with with uh, him and Bellingham 
and presumably John, I think you have the best of all worlds in midfield. So that would be my kind of uh, lineup. The the question obviously is what happens up front because if Holland isn't available for the cup final, at least not for uh, the start, which I guess seems somewhat likely. I don't know. Uh, obviously, we are recording this on Monday evening Germany time, so there hasn't really been any news on Haaland's availability. But if he's not playing, then I would assume it's again going to be, you know, that fluid front four, if you like, that you mentioned earlier. So that might mean that Reus nominally is again playing uh, at the top of a midfield threesome, if you like. And I don't know that Dahoud and Bellingham would be Terzic's preferred choice you know, covering for such an alignment. But if Haaland is available from the start, I think uh, Bellingham is going to replace uh, presumably Reyna in the starting lineup and uh, we'll have that that uh, that three-headed midfield monster of Bellingham, John and Dahoud, which, you know, is really the, as I said, the best of all worlds for Dortmund at this point. Yeah, uh, it's at least exciting. I, I really hope that Dahu doesn't have uh, anything that would keep him out of the cup final because uh, that was would obviously be a shame. But before we talk more about the the cup final and the potential lineup, and I, I don't think there's that much more to talk about because we literally just uh, played against Leipzig, um, there are a couple other things to cover. Obviously, um, Marvin Hitz had to come off injured. Uh, I think he picked up a knee injury when he uh, clashed with uh, Manuel Kanji and he will be out for the season. Um, so that means uh, Roman Burki, who obviously replaced him, will be now back in goal. Um, what are you making of this uh, uh, change, Lars, uh, in the most crucial part of the season now for Dortmund, where uh, pretty much every game will feel like a final because uh, either it's uh, the Champions League qualification on the line or uh, a, a literal trophy. Um, <laughs> Eden Tessic gave him a bit which looked like a, a club bear hug uh, before Berkey came on. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can put too much blame on him for the goals that Dortmund did concede. Um, he also otherwise didn't have had to make too many saves. Uh, how confident are you about uh, his uh, performances now that he has basically come off the bench and knows that he will have to play the remainder of the season and uh, maybe has a chance to? Uh, get his number one spot back. I mean, the journalist in me thinks it's a, it's a great story unfolding in front of our eyes. I mean, <laughs> just imagine, imagine Birki uh, saving a decisive penalty in a shootout of the cup final against Leipzig and then winning Dortmund Champions League qualification on the final match day against uh, Leverkusen. But I mean, the cynic in me thinks that both of these things are rather unlikely. For one, Birki is absolutely terrible against penalties, uh, more so in the league where he has never saved one than in the cup where I think he has a couple of saves against Union Berlin uh, a few years back. Um, I mean, my level of confidence, not shocking to anyone who's listening to our show regularly in Birki is not necessarily at an all-time high. Because I think you can make the case that Marvin Hitz 
uh, made uh, or left enough room for Birky to uh, step back into his role with you know absolutely per uh, amazing performances in 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 training and you know against Leipzig in the second half. So if if this had been a, a short term kind of having the wind knocked out of him scenario or whatever with hits and he would be available now again. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that Terzic would go with uh, Marvin Hitz for the cup final. So this is definitely not what they envisioned going into uh, this home stretch of the season, as you said, where every game counts for so much, uh, presumably. I mean, there's also a scenario where Dortmund are already qualified for the Champions League uh, ahead of the final match day of the season uh, with some of the permutations concerning Frankfurt. Um, the, the 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 real problem would be now, obviously, what if, uh, which has happened to Dortmund Cup Finals before, remembering uh, 2012 with uh, Weidenfeller having to be replaced by Mitch Langerak. Was that 2012? Must have been. Yes. Um, uh, what if Birki uh, has some misfortune against uh, Leipzig on Thursday night? Because then you are going to Luca Unbehorn, who has never played a professional game of football in, at the senior level, uh, or Stefan Drillazza, who also, I think, I mean, I don't know where he would have uh, played ahead of or above uh, the Regionalliga level, which is the fourth division in Germany. So they would be quite screwed unless, you know, Drillazza is an amazing penalty saver, which uh, unbeknownst to me would save them, you know, the cup, but I don't think that's necessarily a likely scenario. So uh, they need to hope that Birki sees this as the big chance to either get back his number one status at Dortmund um, or, you know, position himself on the market. Because let's let's face it, with all the rumors out there and, and from reliable sources as well, such as uh, Watz, uh, it, it definitely seems like if they have the opportunity, they are going to sign a new number one goalkeeper. And that means that Birki is on his way out. And right now he doesn't have much of a market, seeing as he hasn't played for months. So, you know, a, a great performance in the cup final and in the last two games against Mainz at Leverkusen might either get him back in the good graces of, you know, the Dortmund bosses and, and convince them that, you know, spending however many millions on, say, Gregor Kobel of Stuttgart wouldn't be the best use of resources in Corona times, uh, or, you know, someone else becomes uh, more aware of the qualities of one Roman Birki. So if we wanted to take a positive outlook on this, I think Birki has a lot to win and as such also a lot riding on his shoulders. And unfortunately to me, he at least on the evidence of this season at least it's a question mark in my opinion whether he's the kind of uh, person who thrives in that situation yeah we shall see i mean it's uh, definitely an interesting twist at the very end of the season i really just hope it, it goes well for all people involved um but uh, yeah it's really hard to predict because uh, he obviously had a couple of really terrible blunders and you can only hope that uh, those do not reoccur again so um yeah uh, but um, otherwise, um, I I'm I'm very glad that Jude Bellingham will be available again in in the, in the cup final. And of course, um, one thing I wanted to mention again, um, when we talk about the winning goal, um, first of all, 
I think Julian Brandt for once actually reinvigorated Dortmund's attack from uh, coming off the bench. I think he uh, replaced Hazard and, uh, you know, I think that really helped to have some more uh, footballing impetus <laughs> uh, in, in the middle of the park. And uh, of course, the ball he did play uh, for Sancho was a really well-timed pass. And before that, I think he, he also uh, had a couple of good passes uh, that uh, could could have, uh, you know, become key passes. Uh, so um, since we've been pretty harsh on him very often, I think uh, he, he deserves some credit to actually help Dortmund in a very dire situation. And it was a must-win game. And uh, it didn't really look like Dortmund would find another uh, trick up their sleeves, but... Uh, with also the help of Julian Brandt, they did. But uh, what I really wanted to <laughs> talk about, and only because it gives myself a little pleasure, is um, Lars, how amazing was that dummy by Marco Royce when uh, Rafael Guerrero played in that little cutback for Jane Sancho? Because I've, I think I watched it back and forth like maybe 10 times or so. And uh, being in the United States, I can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and I uh, uh, took the liberty to like, slow it down to 0.5 speed or so. And uh, really, uh, you know, look whether Marco Reus intentionally jumped out of the way or uh, whether he tried to play the ball but just missed it. Um, but uh, the evidence is very clear that he did jump out of the way. And uh, without having uh, having an eye for it, just... Uh, Knowing that Sancho would be there, um, I don't. I don't know how many players w would make that uh, conscious de decision in uh, in in this situation. But uh, first, you have the dummy uh, that sort of leads to the uh, to his first goal, and then uh, this play. Um, I just I just wanted to highlight how amazing uh, it is that he has that sort of awareness because Sancho then just had to tap in. Um, but uh, I, I think we, we need to just uh, appreciate a little bit a how good Marco Royce is in that situation and uh, of course um, the entire player with Sancho playing the back heel to Guerrero and uh, the entire awareness uh, you know when uh, Gulashi in the end doesn't even try to get to the ball anymore uh, because he knows he's beaten then then you know you've created uh, basically an artwork um, what are you making of Marco Royce's form right now and uh, his leadership in a footballing sense, if you will? I mean, first of all, thank you for correcting my first take uh, during this episode because I only applauded three players for that situation. And as you said, I, basically, Royce also deserves credit for not getting in the way, if you like, or showing the awareness and instincts in the box, which... I also find uh, to be one of his biggest strengths, which is a bit surprising considering he's never been an out-and-out -out striker, even though he's played uh, in, in that role a few times over, especially the last two or three years. And generally speaking, I think we are seeing the best of Royce for at least two or three years. I mean, the continued uh, level of uh, a goal scoring threat we we've seen in in uh, patches here and there but i think you know from the entirety of his performance i don't know that he's played this well in a long time also this consistently uh, i would say in, in different games against different opponents sometimes he has a good game and then he's nowhere to be seen but right now i feel like he's really consistent in his performances 
Yeah, and and also in these big games that Dortmund have played over the last few weeks and months. I mean, he was so vital in uh, qualifying for the Champions League quarterfinals against Sevilla, where we praised his uh, pressing awareness and and general contribution to the attacking play. He scored a lot of important goals. I mean, he's Mr. 1-0 for a reason. Yeah, and, I, I, I think mean, someone said that uh, every goal he scored in the last six or seven games were all goal-ahead goals. I mean, he scored against Stuttgart, uh, he had an assist against Bremen, he scored again against Union Berlin, and then uh, he uh, scored against uh, RB Leipzig in the Champions League. He also scored against Manchester City, and uh, he also did have this very sweet hit against uh, Holstein Kiel. I think that was the Emre Can thing that he sort of took down and then smashed into the short corner. Also really beautiful and uh, uh, you know a high level when it comes to technique uh, of of a goal uh, not not that easy to score please i can tell you from own experience <laughs> my left foot not not that good <laughs> yeah and as we all know uh, professional footballers all have the same bad left foot as you do so yes <laughs> especially marco royce it's all the same just uh, the only difference is uh, lack of st- stamina in my case otherwise i'd be on just on the same level Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> with with Royce also, I think we have to mention, as you said, the the leadership in footballing sense. Uh, he's definitely, you know, picked up in that regard as well. I think, I think with Royce, you can sometimes tell when he's not in, you know, the greatest run of form. He seems a bit moody. Uh, you know, talks to the referee a lot more than I would like because that just annoys me sometimes with with some players anyway. Uh, and and Royce is one of them. And and when he's feeling on form, he just gets on with everything and you know doesn't spend too much time uh, you know lifting his his socks for before a free kick or whatever. I think he's just in 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 the right run of uh, form and in the right mindset also uh, where he can, you know, show this level of consistency, which uh, only because of injury uh, he's not always showing. I mean, there's no t- debating the sheer quality of this player. That's It's only that, you know, for uh, circumstances mostly out of his control, he's not always been able to show it, but it's, it certainly seems as if he's, picked a very good moment in time to uh, return to the kind of form he showed, you know, let's say, in 2018 and ahead of his bad injury uh, ahead of the World Cup in 2014. Uh, I think those are the prolonged patches of excellence I, I remember most of Royce. And, and I'm not saying necessarily he's already there because, you know, the sample size is still not too large uh, in comparison. But I do believe if... If he lifts his first major trophy as captain on Thursday, if he uh, gets Dortmund into Champions League and makes the Euro squad, I think we are looking back at 2021 as one of the best seasons of Marco Reus. And to be honest, uh, if someone had told me that uh, only like two months ago, I I think uh, I would not have agreed with that because... Back then, it was uh, all the most of the talk was about his uh, lack of scoring contribution, especially in the Bundesliga. I think he was on like two or three goals for months. Uh, you had the the missed penalties and all that, so he's really picked it up and picked, as I said, a good moment in time to do so. Yeah, I mean, 
it it really does coincide uh, in 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 a way with Dortmund also picking up their form, and uh, you, it's it's hard to say which is the chicken and which is the egg. Um, but if if we're if we're completely honest, um, if if he keeps this form and like conserves it for an entire season next season, I think we would see Dortmund um, at an entirely different level. Uh, notwithstanding who else is playing next to him, but uh, Marco Reus in this form. Um, it's it's probably very hard to conserve and to play on at this level for for a prolonged period of time. But uh, if Marco Royce can do it, then uh, uh, you know we we are all uh, <laughs> very blessed. Let's put it this way. But um, now, if we look at the table, obviously I haven't really mentioned it now. But uh, since Dortmund lost to Frankfurt, they have uh, won every single Bundesliga game, and uh, those were a three-two win against Stuttgart, a four-one win against Bremen. 2-0 against Union Berlin, another 2-0 against Wolfsburg, and now a 3-2 win against RB Leipzig. And I must say, um, I'm, I am I obviously did not see this run of form coming. Um, and uh, it's sort of a shame that Dortmund A lost to Frankfurt because that would have made life for them much easier, but also already the 2-2 draw away to Cologne um, could have been avoided and probably uh, saved a few headaches. But now, with uh, Frankfurt drawing on Saturday against Mainz, obviously Dortmund's next opponent that they will play against on Sunday. Um, Dortmund are now in fourth place, but um, Frankfurt do play against Schalke next weekend, so that will be an automatic win. And uh, then on the final match day, they will play against Freiburg. Meanwhile, Wolfsburg... After Dortmund play on Sunday, they will play against Leipzig on Sunday. And then Wolfsburg will play against Mainz. So um, there is a possibility that Dortmund finish third. There's a possibility that Dortmund finish fifth. Um, obviously, uh, there's a very good chance that uh, Wolfsburg still crash out of the Champions League. There's a good chance that uh, Frankfurt stay in fifth and everything stays the way it is right now. Um Last, at least Dortmund are within a very good chance now, but obviously neither uh, Mainz nor Leverkusen are uh, teams right now that, uh, you know, uh, are, are a good matchup for Dortmund in, in terms of uh, the strengths and weaknesses those particular teams have, especially Mainz. Um, I think uh, up until this match day, Mainz was actually ahead in the so-called Rückrunden-Tabelle, the second half of the season table. Uh, where Dortmund are now back in fourth place with 29 points, uh, equal with Leipzig and Mainz. And if you if you look at the Hinrunden-Tabelle, uh, Mainz were on level uh, with Schalke, equally having seven points. So that sort of tells you what kind of turnaround Mainz had. And uh, I guess uh, the addition of Bo Svensson is probably the, the, the story of the season, if you will. Um, but yeah, uh, Dortmund now both in the... Hinrunden, Endrückrunden-Tabelle uh, on, on fourth place and uh, Dortmund finished the first half of the season with 29 points now with uh, two match days to go. Dortmund already have that amount of points. Um, Obviously, we can already appreciate the haul that Dortmund had now um, because those five league wins that I mentioned uh, came uh, among, I guess, very draining quarterfinal playoff games against Manchester City and then of course uh, the, the cup final uh, the, the cup semi-final sorry uh, against Kiel obviously there was a week in between which really helped but nevertheless um, you know 
um, playing against Manchester City the way Dortmund played, which I thought was on a fairly high level for them, um, was really good. So Lars, um, when you said this is maybe the best you've seen Royce in a long time, I would uh, make the case that this is probably the best I've seen Dortmund play in a very long time on a more consistent form. Uh, what, do you, what are you saying about this form and uh, what do you attribute this uh, uptick to? I mean, I'm I'm wondering if you would say the same if uh, Dortmund hadn't nicked a win against Leipzig on Saturday. Probably not. Uh, no. in, in, instead, conceding like the third goal, which at some points during the second half looked much more likely. So, I mean, there's always fine margins, and up until that point against Leipzig, I think they came up against opposition in the Bundesliga, where which you kind of expect them to beat, uh, especially if they have the ambition to finish in the top four so i'm i'm not necessarily willing to uh, praise them too much for <laughs> the last few weeks i mean they've ducked themselves such a big hole that you know getting out shovel by shovel even though that doesn't make sense at all uh, from no. a metaphor <laughs> standpoint uh but you know what i was trying to say anyway uh i mean if if at the end of the season, they win seven games in a row to get them into the Champions League, which, by the way, will be the longest winning streak anyone's had in the Bundesliga because the longest so far is Leipzig uh, at six games and nobody else is on a longer one than Dortmund. Um, I mean, then obviously they deserve huge amounts of praise for their run-in, uh, but given how they dug themselves a hole, and that's not only down to you know the bad phase in autumn under Favre. I mean, you mentioned already the uh, two-all draw against Cologne, which really was a 2-1 defeat until the final kick of the game, basically. And the defeat against Frankfurt, in turn, was a one-all draw uh, up until, I don't know, seven or eight minutes uh, before the final whistle. So it's it's not like uh, it's been months of, you know, uh, trying to dig themselves out of uh, their problems. Others, uh, meaning Favre, uh, Put them into so as i said i'm not necessarily willing to give them too much credit for uh, especially the first four of those five games which definitely were winnable games against opposition in bad runs of form i mean bremen might yet get relegated uh, stuttgart only now won against augsburg after a run of i think four games without uh, or with only defeats and and uh, the, the the thing is to me that we've we've seen them be able to pull this kind of performance out of themselves. They they had a four game win streak under Favre from match days three to six. Correct. Three, four, five, six, yeah. So uh we we know that Dortmund are capable of this kind of prolonged level of performance. So we we need to hope that they can pull it out for I guess ten more days and and I'm, I'm fairly confident, if nothing else, that uh, even if they don't score six points from the final two matches, I think they will still get into the Champions League because, honestly, I kind of think that uh, Dortmund and Frankfurt will make it with Wolfsburg, the odd man out or the odd team out. And and one thing, or well, one last thing to mention as we talk about all these permutations is that uh, Mainz might be completely safe by the time they play against Dortmund on Sunday uh, after or evening, uh, given 
uh, the, the current standings, that seems fairly likely. Uh, so Mainz might not have much to play for and Leverkusen might be solid in sixth place by the time they play Dortmund on the final match day. So there's at least a possibility that, you know, both opponents don't really have much to play for. And especially knowing, you know, Leverkusen, uh, as long as we do for however many years in the Bundesliga, when they don't have anything to play for, they either just turn up and, and have a laugh with all their good players or they turn up and make other people laugh with their ineptitude. Yeah, uh, obviously Leverkusen will be uh, back of the surprise. And uh, yeah, I, I think the Mainz game will be really tough, but uh, j just just because uh, that they are very solid and know how to counter and... Uh, Having seen Hummels' tired legs against Leipzig, uh, I'm not entirely sure how well that will go. But uh, more more on that later, um, last because we still have to preview the cup final a little bit. I mean, we've been jumping back and forth just because uh, the how the schedule is now. But obviously, um, there is a chance for silverware, and uh, I don't know how excited I am because it's. Uh, definitely not the same experience and uh you know i'll be i'll be flying to germany on that day so i'll probably be watching this game on my phone in the car so it's uh, even less of a football watching experience than i usually have and uh, i mean if you've uh followed football from the stands and then you you know revert to watching it uh, on tv for the most part then uh you know not the same experience anyway, but uh, that all being said, uh, last this is uh, obviously still a huge game. Dortmund want to make a statement, and uh, I think a lot of Dortmund fans also uh, have a lot of onus on not letting Leipzig win their first cup. So, um, how do you think Dortmund and uh, Terzic will approach this game? Um, how do you think uh, Nagelsmann will react? The floor is yours. I mean, how how are they going to approach this game? Uh, both teams are going to play to win and play to win in 90 minutes, I think, because uh, especially Dortmund, but also kind of Leipzig. I mean, we haven't mentioned that, but Leipzig aren't even assured of finishing top four if they lose both of their games with a large enough margin. Uh, there's a possibility that Dortmund could even be vice champions this season, which, you know, that would be absolutely ridiculous given they've lost 10 games this season, I think. But yeah, uh, I don't know that cup finals necessarily are the kind of uh, canvas for, you know, tactical nuance necessarily. I think we basically know what Dortmund are at this point of the season. We know what Leipzig are. Uh, just go out and, you know, perform to the best of your abilities. And I think given what we saw on Saturday and, you know, what we already mentioned in terms of uh, Dortmund's pretty good record against Nagelsmann sides, And I would say also, you know, maybe from a fan perspective, I think there will never be a final with more neutral fans uh, wishing Dortmund to win over Leipzig because obviously they are the Red Bull empire in Germany and nobody outside of Eastern Germany. And I would say a lot of people in Eastern Germany still don't want them to win. So uh, there's a lot riding on, you know, Dortmund's ability to pull this Uh, cup win off and obviously that would be the first major trophy because the super cup doesn't count for anyone uh, <laughs> over here the the first major trophy since 2017 and whenever you 
are in Berlin and you don't have to face Bayern, I think that's an opportunity you can't let go to waste. Obviously, that also applies for Le Leipzig, who were in the final in, I think, 2018 or 19. Yeah, uh, that, that that to me is all a blur. I don't know when exactly Leipzig were in the final. I, all, all I know is that they did not win and didn't really send a chance to win. Now, um, obviously, we've talked about this a little bit before Dortmund faced Wolfsburg because um, that was already a, a very big game also for Wolfsburg. And I thought um, that, uh, you know, the, the mental aspect of this game might uh, make a difference. And I thought that... Uh, Wolfsburg weren't necessarily uh, mentally tough enough, <laughs> that makes sense, uh, and and uh, had a couple of blunders and uh, then uh, up front couldn't really break down Dortmund, to be honest. And uh, I wonder if something similar happens here to Leipzig again, because um, A, um, they have yet to win silverware and uh, I mean, they're not really a, a, a club that's been around for long, so they didn't have too many opportunities, but... Uh, you know, given that we now see that Dortmund maybe are becoming a little bit of their their boogie team, do you, do you think that uh, we'll we'll see such frailties against from uh, again from Leipzig? I mean, uh, I think the uh, the best example of uh, Leipzig completely shitting the bet was probably against Liverpool, um, when Liverpool weren't really the better team, um, but uh, Leipzig had two absolutely terrible giveaways and sort of just gifted. Uh, Leipzig uh, uh, gifted Liverpool a very uh, easy 2 nothing win in the first leg. Uh, I haven't seen the second leg, so I can't say much about that. But um, do, do you think that uh, this is likelier than uh, Leipzig having a resolute uh, performance over 90 minutes where they hardly make any errors and uh, just dominate Dortmund from start to finish, which obviously can also happen? They have it in them. I I would say they are a good team and uh, they they could play at their highest level, but somehow I just don't see it. I mean, uh, if I had to put money on one of these two teams crapping the bet in a cup final, uh, I think my money would be on Dortmund. To be honest, I okay. mean, we've seen time and time again, obviously more so against you know teams that they are expected to beat, that Dortmund trip over themselves and. I don't know about Leipzig. I think they've had, you know, more time to prepare mentally, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously the, the semi-final is only a few days old for, for both teams, but still I think Leipzig were looking forward to this from the moment they knew they played Dortmund in the final, whereas Dortmund obviously had a bit more or, or much more riding on uh on Saturday's Bundesliga game. So I think Leipzig will be you know, more relaxed, perhaps. I mean, given that they are still the uh, smaller club, if you like, and and definitely the younger club, obviously, and less successful club over uh, the years, um, they might consider themselves to be kind of underdogs, even though on paper, given that they are second in the Bundesliga and Dortmund are fourth, uh, I don't know that there's ne necessarily a underdog favorite kind of deal so i i find this this entire game very hard to call going into it and and would definitely say uh, you know availability of holland might make a huge difference yeah i i agree with that because uh, there is a very good chance that when holland plays and uh, is in a somewhat okay form that he absolutely shreds leipzig's defense um 
especially with Upamecano, as as good as he has been often, I I think he has been uh, quite error prone. He has made a couple of really terrible decisions against Dortmund as well, and uh, even that, even that uh, when space can match Haaland, uh, in in a way, I I feel like the way Leipzig play, especially sometimes with their high line, Dortmund definitely can exploit that. So, um, you know, I, I think in uh, the 3-1 win earlier this year, uh, we, we saw it already that uh, Haaland can absolutely punish Leipzig. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously something <laughs> that's very easy to predict, but I, I don't know if he will play. So, um, yeah, uh, my 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 guess is that Leipzig will have a bit even more respect uh, for Jaden Sancho and Marco Reus than uh, they had beforehand. Uh, I wonder how they will solve the uh, Dahoud puzzle. I mean, I think in this particular game, uh, Nagelsmann pushed uh, Klosermann a little bit more uh, to the inside to help Kampel out in, in the double pivot to sort of counter that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure what Nagelsmann is drawing up for this game. I, I think uh, Leipzig followers... Uh, uh, saying it's very tedious to predict what Nagelsmann is planning, so I'm not going to attempt that either. Um, I think we pretty much have to line up uh, nailed down for for Dortmund. I mean, you'll have Birkin goal, then you have Pischek, Akanji, and Hummels, and Guerrero obviously in the in the back four. And I I assume uh, it's going to be a four three three also uh, when Haaland is fit. And I think you mentioned earlier that would Bellingham and John, and then you have Royce. And Sancho flanking Haaland, sort of. That would be my setup. Uh, I don't know what your approach would be, but I think you've already teased that. So um, if if you have anything else to say, um, then I, I think it's okay if we go forward to the uh, prediction zone. Yeah, looking at the time, that would be prudent. Uh, my prediction is uh, extra time. Don't know who wins, but it won't be after 90 minutes. Fair enough, <laughs> but you still have to pick a winner. Says who? I, I say that. <laughs> With my, all my mighty authority as the yellow wall for those, I say that. <laughs> uh, out of spite, Stefan, Leipzig will win. All right, fine, Lars. Uh, I, I'm saying that Dortmund will win it uh, in regular time. 3-1 uh, to one is my prediction. So uh, there you go. I'm going to pick a 3-1 scoreline until uh, the winning streak breaks and then I'm trying something else. But until then, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with this uh, prediction. And uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, Lars, and discussing this on uh, rather short notice. But uh, as I uh, previously said, I don't really have uh, time otherwise this week. So uh, um, this was more or less the only time window where I could make it happen to have a podcast out. And I still don't know uh, how it's going to go uh, next week when I'm in Germany. So if uh, we're uh, not up with an episode, I apologize. Um, but in the meantime, Lars, uh, where can people follow you on the Twitter uh, just quickly, the Mainz prediction is a 2-1 uh, win for Dortmund. And people can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much for uh, not uh, copying out in the in the Mainz prediction. I don't know if uh, we'll, we uh, have a preview for that or not, because I kind of do want to discuss the cup final win. But uh, if I'm not there, I'm uh, also predicting 3-1 win. So there you go. <laughs> Just <laughs> Everything's a rubber stamp with a 3-1 win. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, you can follow me at Stefan Woods on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to subscribe to this show in various means, please do that via YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. If you want to contribute financially, 
go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information in the meantime uh, as always thank you for listening and good <laughs>